0: Uh, well good morning hamilton baptist uh good to be back with you this final sunday in july i pray that habakkuk has been uh encouraging for you and that you've been fed well by that uh we're just going to spend some time this morning in a section in genesis looking at the life of joseph i'm looking particularly at the episode where he reconciles with his brothers it's such an amazing um story such an amazing 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 episode in the life of joseph and in the book of genesis so we're going to spend some time there and if you want to turn to your Bible, i look up Genesis chapter 42. We're gonna be uh, looking over quite a few chapters this morning, but if you open up the 42, um, that'll give you a good bearing and, and enable you to be able to track along. As you turn now, I just want you to tell you a little bit about a certain man. He was born into a, a deeply dysfunctional family. He had a strained relationship with his dad. Yes, his upbringing wasn't perfect, but he had a chance to live a different life, to live a different way, but he ends up heartlessly betraying and abandoning his brother all for money. He runs away from his family in order to live a life of reckless abandon. He ends up having three sons, two of whom particularly inherit his sinful and selfish ways and who end up dying as a result of their lifestyle. His life is marked by negligence, anger, sexual promiscuity, he is a selfish son, a failed father, a betrayer, and a womanizer. The name his mother gave him meant praise to God, but yet his life was by all accounts a complete affront to God. So the question is, will his past failures define him? Can he change? How will he change? Can the relationships he's damaged be healed? Can the burden of guilt and shame that he goes goes to bed with every night and wakes up with every every morning, can that burden ever be removed? Well, that man is Judah and Judah is Joseph's older brother. And those questions that we just asked, those are the questions that we bring to these four chapters in Genesis this morning. Uh, If you know the story of Joseph and his brothers, you'll know how, how they brutally abandoned Joseph and sold him into slavery. That's what happened back in chapter 37 of Genesis. The question is after 13 years, have they changed? How will they react to seeing Joseph again? How will Joseph react to seeing them after all that they've done to him? I wonder if you see something of yourself in in the person of Judah, The, the sin, the failures, the family conflict, the guilt, or maybe you resonate more with Joseph. You've been deeply and unfairly sinned against. Family members have hurt you. Forgiveness is hard for you. What we're gonna see this morning in our time together is that God is at work to expose our guilt and extend his compassionate mercy to us so that we might experience reconciliation ultimately with him and also with others. So I'm just gonna read Genesis 42, the first 17 verses, just to really set the scene here. So if you follow along, Genesis 42, verse one to 17. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt go down there and buy some for us, so that we may live and not die. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others, because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for there was famine in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, They bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, you're spies. You've come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my Lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them, you've come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who live in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father and one is no more. Joseph said to them, it is just as I told you, you are spies and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get, go get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you're not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. Uh, let me just pray for us as we come to consider these things. Father, we're just so thankful for another opportunity to gather as your church, as your body, um, to hear your voice through your word. Pray, Father, this will be a time of being changed by you, of listening to you, of being humbled before you, um, of having our faith strengthened and nourished, um, of being reminded of the forgiveness that you offer us. So we just pray for your help. Uh, Help us to see and help us to hear, Father. In Jesus' name, Amen. So the first thing we see here then in, in these chapters is that God is at work to expose my guilt and change me. That's the first thing we see here. We're in the middle of a famine, as those verses just alluded to. Jacob and his family are living in Canaan, which was just north of Egypt. And Joseph was sold into slavery and taken down into Egypt, and is now by God's hand, second in command in Egypt. He's second only to Pharaoh. Through Joseph, Egypt has managed to store up food. They've managed to store up plenty of grain prior to this famine that we now find ourselves in the middle of in chapter 42. Uh, so as, as we read jacob sends tens of his sons down to egypt to buy food uh, the ten of them head down to egypt and in verse 6 of chapter 42 you see that they come before joseph and they bow down to him and then in verse 9 we see that joseph remembers the dreams he had okay so this is a significant point in the life of joseph and in the book of genesis this is 13 years in the making those two dreams which had led to joseph being sold into slavery and also locked up in prison for a time 13 years later, they finally come true. Joseph's brothers bowed down before him. Okay, his dream wasn't just a dream. It was a direct promise from God and it is filled before his very eyes. God is at work. God is remaining faithful. So Joseph recognizes his brothers, but his brothers don't recognize him. What what happens as they come before Joseph now here, what happens here is is the beginning of a process. A process that will, over the next three chapters, 42, 43, 44, will determine if Joseph's brothers have really changed. After all, when it comes to human relationships, forgiveness and reconciliation is often not an event. It's often a process, isn't it? We're reminded here that from chapter 37 and in the rest of the story that Judah's brothers are guilty. And we also know from chapter 38 of Genesis, Judah is uniquely given a whole chapter to himself to highlight his sin in this part of Genesis. Judah is guilty. The brothers are guilty and Judah is guilty. He particularly plays a representative role here, here within the story of Joseph. So the question is, will they now finally own up to their guilt? Are they truly repentant? Will their actions match their words? And it's also a process that would enable Joseph to. The, the, the innocent party here, to know reconciliation with them is possible. It's important to know something before we dive into these three chapters. As we will see this, this isn't just about holding hands and playing happy family again. The repentance and reconciliation that is needed here is a matter of life and death. For Joseph's brothers, getting green was essential for them to live. And the only way they were going to get green is if they admitted their guilt and demonstrated true repentance. If they demonstrated honestly. When it comes to us and God, a mission of guilt and true repentance are not just about everyone holding hands. It is a matter of life and death for us too today. So over chapters 42 to 44, what we see happen is Joseph putting his brothers to the test. They claim to be honest men, that's what we saw in verse 10 of chapter 42, but do their actions match their words? What's about to happen here is sort of equivalent to a lie detector test if you wanna think about it that way. Joseph wants to know if they are honest men in their hearts, not just their words, He is putting his finger on their pulse in order to determine if the remorse and repentance is just skin deep or whether it's heart deep. What is it that he is looking for? What is it that we are looking for in a heart and life that has been truly changed? Well I think there's three things that we helpfully three things to think about as we helpfully go through these chapters, a bit of a a grid reference, a bit of a frame for us to look for in the life of Joseph's brothers. And ultimately also to be looking for in our lives and the lives of those around us when it comes to genuine sorrow for sin and repentance. We're looking for conviction, internal. We're looking for confession, open. And we're looking for change, outward. Open, internal conviction, open confession, and outward change. Two tests Joseph puts them through. The first test, as we read in these verses, when they first come to Egypt, Joseph says, bring your youngest brother, Benjamin. Go back to Canaan and bring your youngest brother, Benjamin. Joseph then binds Simeon and sends the brothers away with grain and Joseph has secretly put money in The, the money that they brought with him to buy grain, he's put it back in their sacks and sent them on their way. They're unaware of that. That's the first test. Will, will they, what will they do when they find the money in their sacks that they came with to Egypt to buy grain? How will they respond? How will they act? Well, the first thing we see here in the life of Joseph's brothers is conviction in verse 21 of chapter 42 when Joseph makes this proposal to them the brothers say amongst themselves in truth we are guilty concerning our brother when he makes this proposal about going back and getting Benjamin the brothers then turn to each other and they're convicted they say in truth we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul they're speaking about Joseph here we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen That is why this distress has come upon them. Okay, Joseph's asked them to go and get Benjamin. They don't want to do that. They know what they did to their younger brother last time. And they think that what's happening now is a result of the guilt that they have from that, from how they treated Joseph. Then we see more conviction. When they leave on their donkeys and they open up their sacks uh, and they find that money that Joseph has put back in, the money they came to buy grain with, they say this. In chapter, in chapter 42, verse 28, what is this that God has done to us? Notice that they're also beginning to recognize that their problem of unresolved guilt in what they've done to Joseph, the sin that they committed there, lies primarily with God. The problem primarily lies with God. What is this that God has done to us? They were convicted about the way that they had treated Joseph. Their guilt weighed heavy on them. Compare this to how so how, how ruthlessly and, and cold-heartedly they sold Joseph into slavery and then they went home. Presumably they went home to Jacob and just lied to his face uh, and then just forget about Joseph. What we see here is that God is doing a work in their hearts to convict them of their sin and guilt. They have gone from being those callous, cold-hearted brothers to being convicted brothers. We seek... We've seen conviction. We now see confession. When when they return to Egypt, Egypt, that is when they go back to Canaan. They get Benjamin. They come back again. When they come back to Egypt, they tell Joseph the truth about the money in their sack. Okay, they don't hide it. They don't try and keep the money in their back pocket for themselves. They tell Joseph what happened. They don't lie. They don't keep the money for themselves, and therefore they are proving themselves to be honest men. And thirdly, we see change when they when they went first went back to when they first went back to Canaan to to get Benjamin. Uh, and they went to Jacob unlike with Joseph they tell Jacob the whole story they tell him the whole truth they tell him what's just happened in Egypt with Joseph they convince Jacob um, um, and they do bring Benjamin uh, and the brothers this time take care of Benjamin unlike how they took care of Joseph and Judah, okay, remember Judah plays this sort of representative role. Judah personally takes responsibility for Benjamin. In chapter 43, verse nine, he says, "'If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, "'then let me bear the blame forever.'" He's saying, I'm taking Benjamin, uh, the responsibility for looking after Benjamin upon myself. You think back to the fact that Judah was the one who came up with the plan to make a profit of selling Joseph into slavery. Look how Judah has changed. Now he's offering to, to take responsibility for the safety of Benjamin. And we also see that they continue to display humility and how they bow down before joseph so we see the brother's com- conviction confession and change and we also see joseph's compassionate mercy when he overhears his brother's guilt regarding him when they first come to him it causes him to weep that's what we see in chapter 42 verse 24. he weeps over his brothers and we also see joseph's generosity towards his brothers typified and how he feeds them when they come back to egypt with benjamin and particularly how he gives Benjamin uh, extra care and attention. That was the first test. The second test now, uh, we see the second test. Now it seems at this point after the first test that Joseph is pretty close to throwing his arms around his brothers. Okay they've shown evidence of change, they've shown evidence of remorse but he's right to be cautious. He wanted to make sure they had really changed. He keeps his identity hidden until he could be sure that they were truly repentant. He has seen how they have treated Benjamin but but did they just bring Benjamin up so they could get grain or do they genuinely love Benjamin and care for him? That's what test number two will establish. So Joseph gets them all packed up a second time, he gives them their grain, again he gets their money put back in their sacks, only this time he has one of his servants take Joseph's own personal silver cup and put it in Benjamin's sack without them knowing They set off and just as they're leaving Egypt, one of Joseph's servants catches up with them. He stops him and then he accuses them of stealing. The brothers are so convinced of their innocence that they pledge that that whoever is found with the cup should die and the rest of the brothers will become servants of Joseph. That's how convinced they are of their innocence. But the cup, they discover, is in Benjamin's sack. Remember Jacob's reluctancy to send Benjamin because of what happened to Joseph. Remember Judah's pledge to take responsibility for Benjamin. The cup is in Benjamin's sack. So they go back before Joseph. We're looking for conviction, confession and change. We see the conviction. When the cup is found in Benjamin's sack, they tear their clothes in anguish. That's what we see in chapter 44 verse 13. Think about how they just left Joseph in a pit and went home and lied to Jacob. But with the prospect of Benjamin, getting into bother now. Not just getting into bother, but potentially even dying. They tear their clothes in anguish. They're convicted. They confess. Judah makes this impassioned speech. Uh, He speaks up really for the brothers before Joseph. And he says in 44 verse 16, the the sort of the, the pinnacle of this speech that Judah makes before Joseph and in front of the brothers, he says, God has found out the guilt of your servants. He's confessing. He's confessing his guilt and his brother's guilt and he's confessing it to Jacob and he's acknowledging his guilt before God. And then we see change. We see at the end of chapter 44, Judah made that pledge about Benjamin and here we see that pledge come to fruition. He says, let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father, he said, let me stay here instead of Benjamin. Take me, punish me instead. At the beginning, we reminded ourselves that the brothers were guilty as a whole and Judah particularly was guilty. That's what chapter 38 in Genesis shows us. We've seen them convicted of that guilt. Now we've seen them confess that guilt and we've seen evidence of change, particularly in how they've treated Benjamin in comparison to how they treated Joseph. So what can we learn from this episode? What does it look like for God to expose guilt in us and change us? Well, it looks like the same three things. It looks like conviction. When God works in our lives by his spirit, we will be convicted of our sin and guilt. We will own our sin and guilt. All of it. Our conscience will alert us to it. When we read God's word, we will feel it exposing us. Do you feel that when you read God's word and when you hear it? We will recognise our sin primarily as an offence before God, before it is an offence before other people. We will own our guilt, we will confess it. John 16 verse 8 says, And when he comes, that is the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning concerning sin, righteousness and judgment. God's Spirit is at work to convict us of sin. And we see in Psalm 51 verses 3 to 4, where we see david admit his sin before god he says for i know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me he recognized his sin god's spirit was at work in his life to make him recognize his sin is he at work doing the same in yours my sin is ever before me against you against god you only have i sinned and done what was evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment that's what true conviction looks like and then confession we see confession is audible it's authentic It's an admission of our guilt and sin to God and confession to others. The great great reminder and the great challenge of 1 John, verses like 1 John, verses 1, 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 to 9 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, okay, if we confess our sins, if we are in Jesus, if we are trusting in him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as well, we see in James 5, 16, that call to confess to one another, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. So we see, com- we can see conviction in our lives, we see confession, and change should also happen in our lives. The change should be outward and obvious like it was with Joseph's brothers. The, the contrast between how the brothers speak to their father and, and how they treat Benjamin, that was the two ways that we saw it in the lives of the brother. It's outward and it's obvious. And there's also a pattern of change, okay? It, that's why Joseph tested them twice. It wasn't just a one-off thing, there was a pattern. And they passed the test both times. Is there a pattern of change in your life? Is a change in your life obvious to others around you? The reminder here too is that change is a process. It took time, it took 13 years for the brothers to get to this point. And, and that's the same for us. Change in our lives is a process. It's a day by day, day, one degree to the next kind of change. So the question is, are we headed in the right direction? Are we changing? Yes, it's a process. Are we making progress in that process? Are we convicted of our sin? Are we confessing our sin before God and others? And are we changing? The encouragement here for those who are trusting in Jesus is that his spirit is at work and that God is at work to convict us of our sin, to cause us to confess, to offer us forgiveness and to change us. So maybe you feel like you're Judah, you're the sinner. The invitation here is ask the spirit to convict you and allow God's word to do its work of exposing sin in you. Allow God's word to do that in your life. Listen to it, read it. Confess to God and to others. If you have sin and guilt in your life, confess it to God and confess it to others and ask the spirit to change you. Or maybe you feel you're more like Joseph, okay? You've been sinned against. Okay, the, the example here is that we are to look for repentance in others who have wronged us not fake tears or just a quick sorry, no cheap or hollow words, we're looking for genuine sorrow for sin, we're looking for a pattern of change in someone's life and yes that's what we're called to look for, we're called to look for repentance, we're called to look for a pattern of change and sometimes that'll be there in the people who've wronged us, sometimes it might take a long time, sometimes it might not be there at all. But what we see in the life of Joseph is that regardless, we are still to cultivate compassion based on God's compassion towards us in Jesus. We can still create a heart posture of forgiveness and extend that offer even if it's not received. Are you cultivating compassion towards those who've wronged you? God is a work to expose our guilt and change us. Guilt doesn't have to burden us, Past sins don't need to define us. Change is possible and reconciliation with God is available. That's the great uh, promise of these chapters and particularly of chapter 45 because God, no, firstly we saw God is at work to expose our guilt and change us but then we see in chapter 45 that he compassionately grants mercy to us. So Jacob Jacob the father longed for Joseph brothers to experience God's mercy when they went before him. When they came back the first time to Canaan to get to get Benjamin. Joseph said this as they set out back to Egypt. He said in chapter 43, verse 14, may God almighty grant you mercy before the man. May God grant you mercy. And what we see here in chapter 45 is that, yes, it is Joseph who is the one showing compassion and mercy here, but as Jacob recognizes and as the brothers have shown, our guilt is primarily before God and God is the one who's ultimately, God is the one who ultimately grants us mercy. Uh, Here he does it through Joseph. So the question is now, will Joseph now reveal himself to his brothers and be reconciled to them based on all that has happened? Will he show them mercy? Well, the answer is yes, he does. Joseph reveals himself and he weeps so loud in chapter 45 that everyone can hear. He is so overcome with emotion towards his brothers. He isn't angry, he isn't vengeful. He doesn't hold what they've done to him against them. Joseph models the nature of God's compassionate mercy towards us in how he treats his brothers. There's four ways here we see God's mercy at work in our lives through how Joseph treats his brother. Firstly, God's mercy embraces me. That's what we see in verses 1-4 to of chapter 45. Joseph tells his brothers to come near. Okay, he invites them to draw near to him and that's before they even say anything to him. In chapter and then in verse 14 we see that he falls upon his brother Benjamin's neck and weeps and he kisses all his brothers and he weeps upon them and he talks with them. God's mercy embraces me. It says come near to me, it says draw near. The next thing we see with God's mercy is that it removes my guilt from me. That's what we see in verses five to eight. Joseph says to his brothers, do not be distressed you sold me here, for God set me before you to preserve life. The brothers surely thought that when they, 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 when Joseph realized who they were, and when Joseph reveals himself that they're in trouble, but Joseph says to him, to them, "Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves." He removes that burden of guilt from them. They're not in trouble with him. Joseph's ability to forgive and reconcile with his brothers ultimately, here we see in verses 5 it flows from his relationship with God and is rooted in the providence of God. You sent me. You sold me and God, but God sent me before you to preserve lives. Joseph doesn't excuse the sin of his brothers and and their guilt, but he also recognizes God's hand in all that happened. And that perspective, that perspective given to him by God's providence enables him to forgive them. We have to remember that Joseph has gone through a, a 13 year process of being matured by God through all that's happened to him. And it's through that maturing and through that deepening relationship with God that Joseph is able to forgive his brothers. Third thing we see is that God's mercy blesses me. Okay, Joseph not only reassures him that he holds nothing against him, but he abundantly blesses his brothers. He gives them more than they do. It blesses me. And then fourthly we see it revives me. We see in verses 25 to 28, particularly with um, Jacob, how the reconciliation that's happened here brings life. It revives our heart and it also revives the hearts of those around us. Remember what we said at the beginning, repentance and reconciliation are a matter of life and death. Throughout, we have seen how Jacob has been deeply sorrowful and bereaved through this whole episode in Genesis, he, he, but he, he hears the good news about Joseph and his heart goes from being sorrowful and, and bereaved to, to numb, but then to being revived. His spirit is revived within him. He will get the chance to see his son again. That's what God's mercy does in our lives. So the question is, are you Judah? Are you a sinner? Are you burdened by the weight of your guilt and sin? God invites you here to come near. He offers to remove your guilt and shame, to embrace you, to cleanse you, to restore you. He offers to bless you and to revive you. Psalm 51, which we looked at a moment ago, verse 1. David says to God, Have him. God did it through Joseph for the brothers, but how is it that God does that for us today? Well, he does it ultimately through Jesus, doesn't he? 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19 to 21 says, In Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, just like Joseph. We implore you on behalf of Christ, therefore, be reconciled to God for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God that's the offer that God gives us through Jesus today to be forgiven, to have our trespasses removed to, to be reconciled to God and to be made righteous that offer is free, that offer is there are you embracing it? maybe that's you, you're due you're the sinner, or maybe you feel more like you're in Joseph's shoes this morning you've been sinned against We need to remind ourselves of the mercy of God in Christ that has been shown to us. The kindness, the love, the compassion, the tender heart that God has shown us. And we need to try and live out verses like Ephesians 4.32 that says, Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as Christ and God forgive you. So we've seen that God is at work to expose my guilt and change me and he compassionately grants mercy to me. Christian, if you have been reconciled to Jesus, your guilt and shame have been removed. His spirit is at work within you. Know that to convict you and to change you. The call for us is to humbly examine our hearts daily and when we sin to confess it, just like 1 John, Verse, chapter 1, verse 8 to 9 calls us to. In light, therefore, and in light of that mercy and grace that God has shown to us, we are to extend it to others, to cultivate a heart posture of compassion and forgiveness to those who have wronged you. If there is repentance, then we forgive others and we strive to be at peace with others insofar as it depends upon us. If you haven't come to Jesus this morning, and you haven't received God's mercy, then the invitation in these verses is to come near to Jesus, to be embraced by him, to be forgiven by him, to be cleansed by him. It is through Jesus that God extends his mercy to us. Have you embraced him? Have you come to him? Have you sought forgiveness? Have you received mercy? The invitation here, if you don't know Jesus this morning, is that like Judah, okay, you no longer need to have your past failures define you. Your guilt and shame can be removed. You can be changed, no matter how um, far or how um, impossible that might seem. You can be changed. You can be reconciled to God through Jesus because He took your sins upon Himself. And you can have the burden of guilt removed. Isn't that just amazing news? God is at work to expose our guilt and changes. And he compassionately grants mercy to us in Jesus. I pray that you know that this morning. Let me just pray. Father, we thank you that you're a God who's compassionate, tender-hearted, patient, loving, kind and forgiving. That in Jesus, you have reconciled us to yourself. I pray that you would stir in our hearts this morning by your spirit to convict us. And to remind us of the forgiveness that we've confined in Jesus. That you would cleanse us and that you would change us. Humble us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.